just love on for, for no good reason other than Jesus told us to, and um, it was just a, a good, good, good week. I have to say, one thing that really struck me this week, though, was um, I think I got an inside look at just how much this last year has affected us. Because for the first, let's see, we got here on Wednesday. So Wednesday night, all day Thursday, all day Friday, it, it was a group that was interacting in a way I'd never seen teenagers react. All right, yeah, Wednesday night, all day Thursday, all day Friday, that's 48, that's like 50 hours. I didn't yell at one kid. No be quiet, no quit running, no put that down, no that's not a weapon. <laughs> Nothing. And that's not, and I didn't realize it at the moment, but that's not normal. If you've had teenagers or have them, you know. And it wasn't until there was a moment on Friday night at the end of service, right at the end, where through the, just the, you know, God working in our spirits, there was just a moment where a, a, a light switch happened, and it was like everybody remembered what it's like to connect. Yeah. Connect to God, connect with each other, to, to be happy, to celebrate in His presence. And it, and it, it shifted the atmosphere, it shifted the everything. From that moment on, I was doing nothing but yelling at students. <laughs> no, not really. But it, it was, it was, I was, I was, it was from that moment on, that whole night, it was loud and people running around and there's rap battles going on and people playing, you know, weird card games and all, all kinds of just the stuff that you expect when, when teenagers get together. Um, and so I say that, that has nothing to do with what we're going to talk about this morning. I say that just to highlight the fact that I don't think it's, it's a, an isolated situation for our teenagers. We all are coming out, and I've mentioned this before, but I'm, I want to keep mentioning it, that, you know, we can't, I want us to be on, uh, have our kind of radars up in our own life to be examining that and to, to be looking at like, okay, it's, it's, it's getting time. It's time to come out. It's time to don't accept this, this kind of voyeuristic existence that we've had for the last year. Like that doesn't have to be our future if just because it was our, our past. So that one's free. Um, but now I'm going to get to, to why we are. We are, we've been in a series called Relationship Resto. This will be the last in the series. Um, uh, I hope it's, it's been, been uh, helpful for you. We're sticking with the, the, the verse that we've been on the last few weeks. Um, Acts chapter 2, verse 42 says, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing meals including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. Last week we talked a little bit about fellowship. This week I want to highlight that first phrase. I want to talk about being devoted to the apostles' teaching. What does that mean? That's, well, first, that, that, that phrase, see, the, you probably know this, the, the, the New Testament church, the people that it's, it's talking about didn't have the New Testament. Right? Kind of makes sense. They hadn't done it yet, so no one could write it down to give it to them. Um, so when we say the apostles' teaching, what we're talking about 
is the New Testament. They just didn't have it written down. They were getting it like in real time, you know, like they were getting it every Sunday. (laughs) And we get the benefit of, of seeing those things in the future. Now, I say that to say that when we say the apostles' teaching, we're not talking about all Christian teaching. It's referring to the Word of God. All right? And so from from that point on, when we talk about devoting yourself, hey, I I am up here teaching right now. Um, And and that's what I've chosen to to devote myself to. And and that's good. And we should should absorb through other people. But but make no mistake, we are to devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching, not to somebody else's teaching. That's... That's step one, okay? So we're going to talk about the apostles. We'll talk about Scripture this morning. And um, I just want to, uh, before we get any further, just take a moment and invite the Lord into, into this, this moment. God, we ask that your, your, your Scripture would speak to us. Um, your message for us would be clear this morning individually, God. Holy Spirit, would you show each one of us what it is you have to say and what you would have us do about it this morning. Amen. Amen. So the apostles' teaching, what, what, what did the apostles teach? You know, if we're going to devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching, it'd be good to know what that was. Well, I mean, it's pretty, it's not a really long list. Um, they talked about the work of Jesus. They talked about transformation through salvation that comes from Jesus. They talked about how to live out the life of Jesus, be empowered by the Holy Spirit in everyday life, and how the Old Testament points to Jesus. Kind of a theme there, right? This is, this, is what, this is what the apostles taught us. This is what Scripture points to. This is, this is where, if we're going to devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching, this is where we should be spending our devotion. Um, 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are doing wrong and teaches us Teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Scripture, devoting ourselves to the apostles' teaching, is vital to living the life that God calls us to. Matthew 4, for Jesus himself says it this way, uh, People do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Scripture is the very word of God. It's, it's, he took a part of himself and he placed it in this and he breathed it on us. And if we're not taking that in, we have nothing to ex- exhale. Now, um, why? So, and I think this is, this is not new information to, to, to you good folks. You, you know this. Um, but there are hindrances. There are things that... that that hinder us from truly devoting ourselves the way the way we should. Um, lack of confidence. You know, we 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 we're not sure about scripture. We're not sure how to read it right. I'm not sure if I know what I'm doing. Um, there's lack of. Sometimes it's an issue of lack of discipline. We just we just don't make time for it. And it may not be the only thing in your life. You just don't have the, you don't create the discipline. It's not enough of a priority to make it in in a regular enough way to say that you're devoted to it. 
It might be an issue of, of disobedience. Mark, uh, Matthew 13, 12 says, To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given, and, and they will have an abundance of knowledge. But for those who are not listening, even what little understanding they have will be taken away from them. One thing you have to understand about this verse is, when, when in the Jewish mindset, listening wasn't listening unless your actions reflect that you heard what you heard. Right? It's like your kids. You tell them to go clean their room. And then you tell them an hour later, go clean your room. And then you tell them an hour later, go clean. Did you hear me when I say go clean your room? And they say, I heard you. And you go, no, you didn't. It's still dirty. That's, that's the Jewish understanding of the word listen. <laughs> and so what is he saying here? He's saying that, that our devotion to Scripture, see, God, God wants to speak to us through his word, but he's, he's only going to repeat himself so many, so many times before he just goes, like, you ever have a teacher that does this, maybe back in grade school or whatever, where they say, be quiet, class, be quiet, class, be quiet, but after, like, the second time or the third time, they just stand there? I'll wait. And that works with most classes. Sometimes the, the class is a little extra rowdy and they're like, okay, you can stand there. We'll talk. How's that? Um, but God will do that with us. If there's something he know, he has communicated to us through his word and through, through community and through whatever, and we, we choose of our own volition to not, not act on that, not obey it, God will wait. For you to get that step. He doesn't, God doesn't skip steps because he doesn't waste them. He has, he has, he says, your steps are ordered by me. I want you to step here. You're going to step there next. You don't get to choose to skip that one or take this one over here. And so sometimes disobedience can hinder our devotion to the word because what happens is, is everything else becomes dry. Everything else becomes dry. He will point, keep pointing to this thing and bringing you back, and it doesn't, doesn't matter what scripture you read, somehow your mind, and it just relates back to this thing. And if we keep saying no, and you keep saying no, keep saying no, eventually it all just becomes nothing. You just stop receiving. So there's disobedience, can be a hindrance. But that's not really what I'm going to talk about this morning. Um... <laughs> I think the biggest hindrance and the one that is even the root of many of the rest of these is that we miss the big message of the word of God it's trying to make on a holistic level. You ever do that? You like just miss something just obvious, super like and you, when, it ha when you finally like realize it, you're like, I, how did I, how did I miss that? I have a friend um, who, this was a number of years ago, got an apartment, and it was like furnished. And uh, he's a worship leader, and um, I have a keyboard, and I'm not a worship leader, um, and don't have any musical talent, and don't really play a keyboard, but I have one. And so he, he, he said, man, I really want to work on my, my keyboard skills. Can I borrow your keyboard? 
I said, sure. So he, he, he borrowed my keyboard and he took it to this, his apartment that he had been in for a few months and he put it in the corner on this nice white little credenza thing and he played it for like six, eight months. Like, I think he was there for like a year and finally, after about a year, you know, he, he, he got a new place and so he was moving out and I get this text from him. It's just a picture of the credenza that the keyboard he borrowed from me because he didn't have a keyboard was sitting on and it turns out it was sitting on an upright piano. There was a piano built into his apartment and he didn't notice for a year. <laughs> we miss stuff. And I think this is especially true when it comes to Scripture. We do this. We read into stories and, uh, and commands we read into it our own preconceived ideas and we miss the point that it's trying to make to us. I'll show you what I mean with an example of what may be the most famous story of all time. You guys want to guess? What, what, what would I consider the most famous story of all time from the Bible? Go ahead, shout it out. I think I heard it over here. David and Goliath. I did no, thank you, yes. I did no research on that. This is just my own, I just declared it so, so. I could be totally wrong. But we're going to talk, the story of David and Goliath. You guys know this story. We're not going to, it's a, it's a longer story. We're not going to read the whole thing. Um, but you know, you know the story. There, there's the Israelites and there's the Philistines. They're enemies. They live next to each other. They're always getting in wars and war comes again. And they, they meet at this place called the, the Valley of Ella. You got the Israelites on one side and, you know, the Philistines on the other. And the Philistine army has this giant, this guy named Goliath. He's seven foot something and a whole bunch of pounds and, you know, he looks like the rock and he's got the big spear and the, all the stuff. You know the story. And every day he would, he would come out and challenge Israel to, it's called singular combat, which means instead of two armies just smashing together and everybody dying, each person just sends out their champion, right? And just the two fight and kind of settle the skirmish that way. Um, which, can we bring that back? by the way. I don't know where that like, lost favor, but that, that sounds like a, like a good idea to me. It seems like we could save a, a lot of lives and a lot of money if we did that. Anyway, no one asked me that. Um, so, so every day he goes out, Goliath goes out, and he, taunt, he taunts them, and he, and he says all this vile stuff about God, and, 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 and it says... Um, in, in 1 Samuel 17, 11, when Saul the king and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. So this guy comes out and they're like, oh, we, got, we want none of that. And so they're all, they're all scared. And, and you know the story, David shows up because his brothers are in the army and he brings them food and he goes to, he hears the, the challenge and Something stirs up within him, and he's like angry, and he goes to the king. He's like, I'll take care of this guy. And the king's like, you're way too little. He's like, I can do it. And Saul's like, okay, because I can't, so sure, why not? You're the only one that 
wants the job, okay, it's yours. So he, he sends him out, and David runs out on the field. Goliath comes out on the field, laughs at him, and then gets his head torn off, right? And sling, head, down. We know that's the story. And in uh, 1 Samuel 17, 50, he says, So David triumphed over the Philistine with only a sling and a stone, for he had no sword. Then David ran over, pulled Goliath's sword from its sheath, and used it to kill him and cut off his head. What's the message of this story? With God, we can defeat the giants in our lives, Right? Amen. And it's, that is true. It's obvious that that is, that is what this story is saying. But when we read this story, when we read, our, we read ourselves into the story, I think in, in, in the incorrect place. We tend to miss where we are supposed to be in the story, even though it's pretty clear. When we read the story, we try to see ourselves as David. And with the Lord's help, we are going to conquer these Goliaths in our life. Here's the problem. No, you're not. You're not David. Scholars pretty much agree that David is a symbol or a, the, the, you know, the expensive word for it is, is a type of Christ. The stories of David, the, the, the fact that he's in his lineage, we, 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 we've come to accept that, that his life is supposed to be a foreshadowing of Jesus. You're not David in this story. Neither am I. But we, we, we want to be, we're always the hero. We always want to be the hero in our own story, right? But we're not. You're not David. Because last time I checked, you ain't Jesus. So where are we in the story? Well, we can, in the New Testament, it tells us very clearly, Galatians 3.29, and now that you belong to Christ, so if you are a Christian, you belong to Christ, you are a true children of Abraham. You are his heirs, and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. Amen, great promise. So who are we? We're the Israelites. We're King Saul scared and running away every time. We, we try to be David because that's what we think we're supposed to be and, and do those things. And then God, Goliath comes out and we just turn tail and run. Like that. We got to quit. We got to quit that. Because, and it happens, why? Because you're trying to be something you're not. <laughs> we can stop that. <laughs> we can hear anything else till we get that off. All right. Uh, but we run, right? We get all mustered up and we, we read a few scriptures and we go to a good camp and then we're like, yeah, I'm David. <gasps> and then that temptation, that relationship, that whatever, that pops up and we... <laughs> Or some of us are at different times in our lives, or maybe you know, some of us are more braver than others. We go all the way through it. We go whole hog, right? We go running out there, and we're going to, ah, and we just get trounced. You just get bloodied and beaten, and, and you lose bad, and you go limping away, and you go, God, why didn't that work? Why didn't that work? 
we got to quit trying to be David because you can't handle the giant. See, the problem with you trying to be David is you don't have his weapon. You don't have the right weapon. Listen, everybody else in the army had sword, spear, shield, one of these things. What did David have? David had a unique weapon, one that only he could wield, slinging a stone. You know, it's funny, this story um, has kind of this universal idea. It's kind of lit- it's literally the cliche when you want to talk about the under- underdog story, right? It's David versus Goliath. But here's the reality. David wasn't really the underdog. He was undervalued. He was underestimated. But he was never the underdog because the reality is David brought a gun and Goliath brought a big knife. They say that his, his sling, David's sling had the stopping power of a 45 Magnum. And Goliath was just a big target to him. And that's it. But we don't have that. You don't know how to use a sling. You can't beat that addiction. You can't kill that judgmental, angry spirit in you. We have to operate in who we are. Anybody remembers, love Carl Peters, one of my favorite quotes of anybody ever. Be who you is, not who you is not. It's horrible grammar, but it's a great way to live. So what do we do? What do we do? Okay, fine, fine, I give up. I'm not, I'm not David. What, what do I do? Well, we, we just, it tells us two things in the story. What, what do we do? Number one, we be Saul. Now, no one wants to be Saul. I'm sorry. This is like, if you've ever taken the Enneagram, and if anybody's done those personality things, Enneagram, whatever you are, it's the one you didn't want to be. That's kind of the rule of thumb. This is, this is kind of like when you say, you should be Saul. Everyone's like, oh, man, that guy stinks. But listen, Saul, Saul had his flaws, which we can relate to, I think. But there was one thing he got right. He admitted he didn't have it, and he sent out the one who could. We have to become Saul. And number two, we have to become an Israelite. Look at the end of the story. Second, uh, 1 Samuel verse 51 says, When the Philistines saw that their champion was, was dead, they turned and ran. And the men of Israel and Judah gave a great shout of triumph and rushed over the Philistines, chasing them as far as Gath into the gates of Ekron. The bodies of the dead and the wounded Philistines were strewn all over the road, all the way there. Then the Israelite army returned and plundered the deserted Philistine camp. We follow in the wake of God's triumph. We're tail grabbers. Right? This is our role. We sang it this morning. The battle is the Lord's. That's not just a nice phrase. That's, that's, a, that's scripture. But we don't... We don't is that how we're living? Are we living like it's the, the battle is the Lord's or are we living like the battle is mine and the Lord's going to help? He's going to empower me to do it. 
I feel like many of us are, 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 if we're honest, we're living that way. And it's exhausting, and we're not seeing the results that we want, and we feel guilt, and we feel shame. I want to ask you this morning, is there an area of your life where you've been, if you're honest, been battling trying to be David, trying to do it yourself without truly expecting or looking for God to bring the victory? Maybe it's a character issue, something in your personality that you know isn't right and you just can't seem to to eliminate that or add that to your life. I just can't seem to be disciplined. I can't seem to get rid of this this anger that's within me. Maybe it's a a, a sin issue. There's an addiction or just something you know that that you just, you keep doing it and you know you shouldn't, like Paul talks about. I don't mean to do it, but I just do it. Maybe it's, not, maybe it's a life situation, a relationship, uh, a work situation that, that you, you know you need victory in this. There's something wrong with it. It's not the way you, you know it's not the way God intended it, but you haven't, seen, you haven't seen a victory in that. Are you doing it yourself are you, or are you waiting actively for God to bring the victory? Are you, are you sending Jesus ahead of you? Maybe it's your life as a whole. Maybe you're, maybe you're sitting here this morning and you've never, you've never made Jesus the David in your own story, in your own life. I want to invite you this morning to take your rightful place in this story and invite Jesus to take his. If the worship team wants to come back up, we're, we're almost done. Your rightful place is behind Jesus. That's what the cross is all about. That's why he came. To stand as a barrier, as a blockade, as the the first to go out to conquer all of the things that should have conquered us. That's why he came. That's why he lived a life to show us what it looked like to live free. To live like a, a true Israelite. That's why he, he, he died and he allowed himself to be punished for the things that we had done. Punished by the people that he was trying to save. That's why he died. And that's why three days later he rose because he's the David. He has the sling of resurrection, not us. But when we put him in that rightful place, his resurrection becomes ours. His resurrection becomes ours. So as we close this morning, I want, I want to invite you, if there's an area in your life as we were talking this morning that, that maybe this applied to, um, if everyone wants to just actually if, if everyone would just stand we're going to close and um, kind of sing one last song here in a minute but I want to I want to invite you to, to everyone to stand and um, I want to invite you to pray a prayer with me and this is, it's a simple prayer it's a prayer that, that it's just inviting Jesus to do his part and putting us in our place 
So if you would, just, just repeat after me. Say, Jesus, you are the only one that can beat this, not me. Would you invade this situation? Do what only you can do. Show me my part. Give me eyes to see you working. Holy Spirit, renew my heart. Transform my mind. Encourage my soul. I give you control. Amen. Amen. Amen.